You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecutors too, author interviews, and more. Let's get to it. Well, I'm so glad that you are here with me. Um, and uh, we, we've been serving here for some time here, Mimsy, and uh, we've been partnering, partnering together to serve the Lord in New York City. I'm going to let you introduce yourselves to our audience through this podcast. Go ahead, brother. It's my privilege to be with you, Alphonse. I am Mimsy Robinson. I serve as one of the associate pastors at Bethel Gospel Assembly which is a church located in Upper Manhattan, Harlem in particular. Um, I've been serving here for quite some years, over actually 30 plus years I've been here, but about 21 years in my role as the missions pastor. I'm over the men's ministry and the marriage ministry also at this season of my life, but my wife and I, literally have been here for many years. We've raised our children here. Both are grown and married at this point. And all that to simply say, it's been a pleasure serving with you, Alphonse. That's that's beautiful. I love uh, how you were talking about how long you've been here in New York City. Does it get uh, older? Does it get uh, tiring to serve in city like this day in, day out, year after year? Well, New York City has its challenges. I am a native New Yorker, born and raised in the same community where my church is, which again is the Harlem community. So it is home for me. And yes, there are definitely things that can make you weary, but the Lord certainly gives us grace to keep going forward. All right. So what is the makeup of your community? Help us to understand because uh, I'm fairly sure most of our audience audience uh, is not um, okay. not uh, ethnically uh, well let's say most of our audience is Caucasian so I just want to uh, hear I want to help our and and two is not from New York that's the second thing uh, so I want to make sure that uh, we get to uh, you get to share a little bit about your community the demographic of your community where God has called you raised you uh, and uh, put you in this uh, ministry. So just share a little bit about your uh, context, demographics, and uh, the makeup of your uh, uh, church community as well. Okay, well, first and foremost, the Harlem community traditionally has been uh, known as a predominantly African-American community. Um, there's a large contingent of Hispanic-Americans um, over the last, I'd say, 15 uh, years, maybe more, there has been a, a gentrification of the Harlem community. And certainly there are all kinds of groups that have moved into the Harlem area. There are, there's a, a large number of uh, Caucasians who live in Harlem now. You have Asians who live in Harlem as well. Um, and, and here's uh, in terms of the gospel and opportunity for the gospel, certainly all who are here uh, who don't know Christ are fair game in that regard. 
but we've also seen an influx of immigrant groups. One in particular has uh, become a part of our outreach ministry, and that would be uh, those who are West African Muslims. We have an area even in the Harlem area known often by many as Little Africa. Some call it Little Senegal because many come from Senegal, but the truth is there are people from various West African nations living in that particular area. So that's just to give you a taste. And, and certainly there are groups uh, like Arabs living in Harlem because many of what we used to call bodegas uh, to refer to uh, Hispanically owned um, businesses, in particular grocery stores, uh, many have been purchased by those who are from Arab countries like Yemen, even some people groups that are very much unreached people groups are represented amongst those who own those corner grocery stores. So there's a lot of opportunity for the gospel and even that uh, of reaching unreached people groups, right? In the Harlem area. So, I mean, really, it's a fertile ground for ministry of all sorts. So you you said uh, gentrification. Yes. Would you like to elaborate a little more on this and both sides? Because uh, this uh, phrase has been used recently a lot, yes. especially uh, since last year when the protests start taking place and uh, people were, were this this is coming over and over in literature, even uh, movies and shows. So I, would you mind helping us a little bit with that too? What what does it mean, how it affects the pros and cons? Uh, little, mm -hmm. let's, let's get out of uh, the church a little bit and help us to understand from the point of view of just the community itself, from both sides. Sure, and you did ask me about the ethnic makeup of our church. We're predominantly African-American, Afro-Caribbean, uh, there's a good number of Hispanics in our church, small number of Caucasians who are members. Um, though, interestingly enough, before the pandemic, any Sunday you come, you'd be amazed at the number of visitors. We had visitors from all over the world, including Europe, South America, the likes. Um, there's a thing that was happening, once again, more so before the pandemic, where people from all over the world love to come to the Harlem churches because of the fact that in the Harlem churches, you will get good gospel music and people love uh, black music of all sorts, uh, whether it be R&B, uh, whether it be jazz. And then when people discovered gospel and, and the feeling that people get from hearing people singing about God just seemed to impact them to really became like a tourist phenomenon for those coming to New York City. So I just wanted to say we would have a large number of people of various races in our services prior to the pandemic. That has changed, of course, in this season. So to go forward in regard to gentrification, the issue of gentrification is one that is not peculiar to New York City or to the Harlem community, but many of the communities, which often are called inner city communities, have experienced gentrification as the city, again, is uh, often a place where real estate is very, very uh, costly. Uh, many real estate individuals have looked at, well, looking at those areas that were once seen as 
off limits to most whites and people who might be uh, upper class or upper middle class economically. But, uh, for many years, people have known that the Harlem community is, is very wonderfully positioned. Uh, you can get by subway to Midtown Manhattan in literally minutes. You can get to um, New Jersey and some of the shopping malls um, by car in 15 minutes or 20 minutes. My wife does it all the time, just for the record. Um, and so surely it's a position, a community position and sort of an ideal location in some ways. So yeah, the, the lid is off at this point. And there is a, a sense of changing community right now, though, yes, it's still predominantly African-American if you go by numbers, but you definitely see um, there, there's been a major change over time. Um, the pandemic might have affected that in some on some level, meaning there are some people who, you know, might be uh, leaving the community at this time. But that having been said, we still have many who are here because we have luxury buildings throughout the community um, that are, have been built. And yes, many who are here are from various backgrounds, uh, including white, Asian. And as I said, you have many immigrants in our community at this time. Gentrification is one of the main forces. Immigration is another force that has impacted that. So we just wanted to mention that as we mention our and speak of our community. Yeah. So you and I did not discuss uh, uh, how the, the basically we did not discuss uh, how we're going to uh, take this uh, conversation uh, to the next level. What's next? I, we just uh, talk about very basic uh, rule of engagement that, hey, I just want to know about your ministry, your family, your life, your background, how things are going on. But uh, I do think it's important as you're talking about uh, your community, and that's also my community too. I live in Manhattan, so uh, we are one community here. Um, but the thing that I really uh, want us to talk about for a few minutes is, uh, uh, you know, we have seen how a racial um, tension um, brought uh, a lot of lot of awareness, but also uh, there was uh, like, especially last year, there were a few months when uh, it, it felt like uh, not it was not a safe place. And you talk about that because of pandemics, few people have left um, your area, uh, the the um, Harlem area, right? But in my neighborhood, I live in Midtown Manhattan, and that's the same story here. A lot of people left. And in my case, majority of them are uh, Caucasian. So um, in the context of, so the podcast, this podcast is our urban voices, right? So there's a voice that's coming from you, Memsi, because you're an individual living in this urban setting, born and raised here and all that, right? And you're ministering here. And then you have a context where you are engaging with or talking to folks who are not Christians. They do not have same values as yours. And then you have folks who are moving into this your neighborhood. And then I got here voices right below our house on 55th Street. You have that very beautiful hotel has been turned into a homeless shelter. Across from our home is also, so I live right across from New York City Center. 
center. So next to that, there's a beautiful hotel on the corner. It, it's, uh, and, and they have turned that into a family homeless uh, shelter too. So uh, based on that, I've also heard, again, our uh, voices, right? These are our urban voices. So there is this portion of our community that is uh, um, scared of the uh, the the gentrification. Then there is a portion that is not happy that um, uh, protests are taking place. So uh, they have boarded up their um, uh, businesses and left. And then there is a portion that is afraid of homeless uh, folks uh, hanging around. And there are those evidence. We, you and I both are following the same news how in the last uh, few months, uh, how many times uh, you have heard that uh, somebody pushed somebody, stabbed this and that and the other. Things have changed in New York City. So what I want to uh, uh, ask you is, uh, in your community, how are you guys as a church engaging with your community, with the message of Jesus Christ, where it talks about peace and uh, uh, camaraderie and uh, reconciliation, uh, justice, so important, justice, mm -hmm. um, the biblical justice that we talk about. So help me to understand how you guys are, because uh, if you are predominantly um, African-American or black church versus my church, which is uh, uh, in Midtown Manhattan or other churches around here, I just want to hear your approach, what you guys are doing, how you are dealing with this, how you are reconciling people. Well, when you say that our church's model is that we're a loving church, a place where everyone is important, we're a learning church, um, you know, where everyone is improving, uh, we're a launching church where everyone is impacting. We also believe we're a liberating church where everyone is increasing and in, in their knowledge of justice and reaching out to those who are disenfranchised. So we need to realize that ministry is holistic. Uh, our ministry at Bethel Gospel Assembly has always cared for poor. Uh, we have a social service arm that serves the needs and have really stepped up. Even while I'm here in my office right now, we are serving the needy. Uh, right uh, outside in front of our building, people are coming for groceries uh, and we have uh, a food pantry that's very much, uh, um, I would say, active and meeting needs as one might imagine and many other churches are doing likewise. So that's an example. Um, in terms of things like justice issues, yeah, crime is one point, but we, we can ask the what about, about crime or we can ask the why. Um, we can ask the what about things like violence or we that can ask is, the why. That is excellent. I never thought this way. Okay, so go back, just uh, uh, rephrase, uh, not rephrase, repeat what you just said toward the end. Why and uh, how about, just, just say it again, just in case yeah. people were listening to you, but they missed this this distinction. Please yeah. uh, re-emphasize your it's distinction. So important. It's so important. We can, we, you know, again, we're, none of us want violence. None of us want vandalism. None of us want, uh, you know, any negative things to happen to businesses around us and things like that uh, during a protest, whatever might be going on because of uh, racial racial injustice or people who are upset about various trends going on. Um, but we need to always, as believers, not just deal with what's happening, but why it's happening. And then we are 
able to move towards being a part of the solution rather than being a part of the problem. Uh, we have to look at what would make a person so angry that they will possibly attack another person of another race. What would make a person so angry that they would possibly, you know, attack a business owned by someone uh, who's not uh, an insider of the community or whatever it might be. Uh, and those things are, are always important for us to look at from the standpoint of, uh, you know, what's fair and right. And, and if it's a crime, certainly someone should have to pay for the crime. All those things are true. But we need to say, well, how can we prevent this? How can we address the concerns of the individuals who are so up in arms and so angry? Again, you have people who are mentally ill who do things, and that's a whole nother story. You have people who might be demonically inspired, and that's a whole nother story. Um, you know, we have to address those things, of course, in various ways. Mental health has to be addressed. Uh, so, you know, there has so to be deliverance let me, let me jump in and just, just ask you. So that that's uh, again you you drop something in which is not often talked about or discussed you said some people might be demonically uh, inspired right or oh, yes. led by so and and i i understand from my own uh, background uh, where i come from and the studies and all that we know that uh, uh, many african cultures many um south uh, uh, south asian cultures or the or even in the middle east curses and and blessing demons and angels mm-hmm. all these things are very true there people use um, um you know um, different uh, ways to mm-hmm. deal with that india is a great example too so so okay. you telling me that uh, it could be a spiritual warfare too not well, just absolutely i mean i think only only in the west do we act as if spiritual warfare is something that is relegated to you know certain third world places or something to that effect it, at any rate spiritual warfare is all over the world the bible is very clear about that uh you know we're not wrestling against flesh and blood the principalities and powers rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places again we, we must know we all know of ephesians 6 I think some of us um, might not really think it's working here for some reason, but it's absolutely, I mean, we look at all that's going on, including this pandemic, we can't ignore the reality that, you know, spiritual warfare is at work during these times as well and in every environment, but there might be different faces of it. And so mental health issues are again real and, and mental health issues are separate often from demonic issues, but but there are times when they can look alike. <laughs> and so that having been said, uh, we can't ignore the fact that as believers, God gave us power for a reason. He gave us authority over demons for a reason. And those things are not just first century concerns. So so I, I, I am a, a Baptist minister. Uh, my theology is, of course, uh, Baptist. Uh, I preach the gospel. Um, but I also understand what what you are saying uh, yes. because I do get people uh, right here on Midtown Manhattan where people come and they will tell me, oh, I, I got a demon. And mm-hmm. uh, in the past, uh, what I've done is uh, I have asked people like, hey, have you gone to a, a, a doctor? Have you uh, consulted with a, a psychiatrist or uh, did you did you? 
see a doctor, those kind of questions. But sometimes uh, I also get some sort of pushback and the pushback uh, has been mostly like, uh, I'm telling you the truth. Why you don't believe me? I said, no, I believe you. I will pray for you for you regardless. And at time, actually, I have uh, sent folks to our friends uh, uh, down the road uh, at Times Square too. And mm-hmm. uh, because just uh, they want to have a healing type uh, service uh, and yes. healing type, uh, you know, those powerful, um, you know, those uh, prayers when folks sit down and lay hand and, uh, you know, pray over people. Um, So with that, that is, again, urban setting. In urban setting, you have Presbyterians, you have Methodists, you have Baptists, you have Pentecost, you have Charismatic Pentecost, you have all kind of uh, uh, folks uh, um, preaching the gospel, reaching the unreached people group, and uh, doing what they are called to do. And in the midst of that, you also have uh, a... Um, but you just told me um, that people might be when when these kind of social issues or these injustices when they arise, there might be some uh, influence by demonic, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, demonic impression influenced people may go to destroy and cause mayhem and those kind of things. So help me to understand as a Baptist pastor, a congregation, Baptist uh, congregation, what can I do on on various different ends that you're talking about? So there is a poverty, why the person is angry, um, uh, dealing with that, if there is injustice, how to how to respond to that in 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 response to especially what's going on right now in our country, in our city. And then the third thing you talk about this uh, spiritual um, uh, aspect. So help me and our audience to understand from your point of view, how to deal with these different uh, uh, aspects of urban uh, issues that we deal with on regular basis. Well, if I could answer that question, I'd probably be uh, a very <laughs> wise person, maybe even a very wealthy person. I don't know. But I can certainly say we start with prayer for any issue we are addressing around ministry. And ministry always involves dealing with people. People always involve problems. People always involve issues, struggles, challenges, uh, baggage. and so. You know, again, we in the urban environment are really not any different from those in suburban or rural environments in the sense that we all are ministering to people and people are complicated individuals, complicated groups, complicated situations. Uh, We can't, you know, how to put it, Um, there is no way we can um, act as if there is some simple way of addressing the issues, but we can, first of all, we need to understand. So, you know, as, as we pray and seek the Lord, he certainly gives us uh, understanding from a spiritual standpoint. But another thing is listening to the people that we're dealing with. Again, if whether that person's presenting the issue of anger about gentrification, whether that person's presenting issues of concern about social justice and wondering why African-Americans are treated differently by the police. Uh, That person is coming saying, I think there's a demon that's, you know, uh, plaguing me and I need deliverance from that. We need to listen. And then we must seek God for biblical solution. The issues 
that are presented to us in our unique context. And so that is what we seek to do here at Bethel Gospel Assembly. Uh, we are a Pentecostal uh, church, if you're talking about our doctrinal background, very similar to that of, say, the Assemblies of God, which is probably a better known uh, Pentecostal group. Ours are more independent or smaller organization. We do have some organizational connection, but they're smaller um, than that Missouri uh, Assemblies of God. Um, and at any rate, uh, I, I mentioned that to say, we do believe that God has given us power over uh, demonic powers, and that comes through, again, the power of the Holy Ghost. So when we're confronted with things that are coming from that direction, we don't shy away. We ask God for direction. We don't, we don't necessarily jump in at first, but we certainly ask God for grace to be able to respond with his power. As we talk about power encounters, uh, there are times that those are necessary on individual levels uh, and definitely on a corporate level. As we talk about things that are going on in environments, our prayers as believers, we have the power to address uh, those things that are happening in the environment that we live in. Whatever community we live in, you can be sure that the enemy of our souls has constructed some plan to uh, steal, kill, and destroy because the word of God says that's his agenda. So yeah, it yeah. might be different. Agree. Depending yeah. on where we live, it might be you know, yeah. a little more yeah. sophisticated in one environment or another, mm -hmm. but the word of God is true. And yeah. we stand on his promises. Amen. And uh, that's uh, beyond all den uh, denomination. It doesn't matter what denomination you belong to. If Amen. you believe in the scriptures, the power of the prayer, that's something, that's just plain. It, there's, you don't need a specific doctrine or specific exactly. uh, 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 theological background exactly. to believe in that. So I agree with you, brother. brother. So let's uh, switch the topic in this last uh, 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 few minutes. And uh, I want to talk about, I know there's been a while since you wrote your uh, doctoral uh, um, thesis, your doctoral dissertation. So the topic you had was uh, describing the conversion experiences of French-speaking West African Muslim background believers in the matter New York area. And uh, I know that we both have a special love for Muslim uh, yes. Muslims here and around the world. Uh, yes. You sit on the Heart for Muslims Conference Executive uh, Board, and yes. uh, which thank you so much for your uh, willingness and your service to this uh, beautiful conference. Um, so help me understand some of the findings you have and how how people who are hearing for the very first time about Muslims in New York City, uh, whether they are Muslim or Christian, um, either way, uh, how, uh, uh, how your uh, church, you, and the Christian community is engaging with Muslims coming from around the world, and you talked about specifically French-speaking West African. That's pretty small. And within that, MBBs from that exactly. background. Where are their experiences? Let me hear, uh, and my audience, and also those uh, Muslim friends who might be hearing you today. I wanna hear those sometimes, some of those right. things. Well, I'm glad to talk about that. And certainly it's an area of great interest and concern for me. I'm grateful to say that the Lord allowed me to, through our ministry here uh, at Bethel Gospel Assembly, encounter um, quite a few 
uh, Christians now. Now they're believers. They're Christians who come from a Muslim background. And in the case, in this case, uh, it so happens that all the individuals who I used for my dissertation, they are individuals who are from French-speaking West African countries. Uh, and so those places like Burkina Faso uh, or Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, um, other locations like that, uh, Guinea or Senegal. Again, these are this is what we're talking about. And I mentioned to you Little Africa being an area in Harlem, uh, somewhere around the 163 area um, from one avenue to another, about uh, two avenues uh, kind of really have an area where quite a few people live who come from uh, these West African countries. Uh, it so happens that um, the daughter church of our church, known as Living Water Christian Center, happens to be a place where about 20 to 25% of the members, including the senior pastor, Pastor David, uh, these are individuals who are from that background. And I mentioned that to simply say that when I went on to do my doctoral studies in the area of intercultural studies, uh, you know, missiology as some call it, uh, when I went on to do that, I you know, had to make a decision about what I was going to actually base my research on, which every person going through a doctoral program has to do some research, some original research. And the truth is the, the Holy Spirit just led me to say this was something that needed to be shared, the fact that there was this, uh, you know, contingent of, of, of individuals coming from that background. And, and you know, I had to do uh, interviews with in, uh, those, those people and about 20 individuals in particular, I was able to gather and who would sit down with me for <laughs> as long as I needed them to, in most cases, uh, a little more than an hour, talk about their life and answer questions that I posed to them. And in short, what did we find? We found that about 75% of them, uh, their reason for uh, being open to Christianity and eventually converting to Christ uh, was disillusionment with Islam as a big reason. Uh, 15 of the individuals, of, of the 20 individuals had that as an issue. And then next we found uh, about 14 of them uh, were influenced, it's about uh, 70% were influenced by uh, church and pastors who shared with them uh, the gospel. And then the next would be Christians in their life uh, who demonstrated love in a way they'd never seen, in a way that impacted their lives. And most of these were not rapid conversions. These were <laughs> conversions that took time. People, most of them were converted in their homes uh, I'm sorry, the countries of birth, Burkina Faso, Ivory Coast, et cetera. Um, we had four who were converted in, in New York City, um, one in France, um, but most of them were converted in you know, those West African countries that they came from. But none of very few, very few of them really considered, considered their conversion what we call uh, a quick or, or you know, speedy conversion, but it was a process because they knew the cost. Here in America, we often, we can make a decision individually whether or not our family approves because individualism is a big, big part of being an American. But when you're coming 
from a, a, a more group-oriented culture, and you make a decision to change your religion from Islam to Christianity, it's a big deal. And there are people who are in this study who experience um, persecution. Matter of fact, many experience some form of persecution uh, if it just meant being ignored by family members or if it meant being told that you shouldn't do that, uh, being very sternly spoken to. But then there were some who were physically abused. Uh, you know, we had two who experienced actual physical persecution. Others experienced financial persecution. We're told that they will no longer be uh, supported for their education or they had to leave their home and stay with a friend and so on and so forth. So, so they really had to count the cost. That's what I'm saying. Most Amen. people they, and, and who come from these cultures, these West African cultures and many other cultures, other non-American, have to count the cost of being a believer. Unlike many of us who our cost might be what? A friend might ridicule you or something. Like a parent might not like what you've done, but they still love you. I mean, let's face it. This is something that all of us need to come to terms with. Persecution may become more of a reality for believers in America. Yep, it's coming. So um, I, I'm going to close with this one. It's, it's an excerpt from your findings, rather your observations. And you said 30% of your participants participants mentioned uh, spiritual supernatural influences as a key influencing factor in their decision to follow Christ, especially in my context uh, um, and other denominations too, where this is not often seen. Uh, in some denominations, actually, this often rejected the supernatural factor today. Uh, but you, you, you said that supernatural influences could include dreams, vision, supernatural healing, yes. or deliverance from demonic oppression. And you actually mentioned two participants indicated that divine healing made a difference in their decision and especially you gave the example of a Wolof woman who heard Lord say and you quoted her I heard you go to the Christians that's where you will learn of your healing and then you unquote and it said she went to the service and over the next few weeks she became aware that her leukemia was no longer detectable by the doctors God spoke to her uh, two more times regarding her need to believe in Christ as the only savior and the need to be faithful uh, so this is this is powerful, and I hope and pray those uh, who heard these stories have uh, it has enriched their knowledge. It has uh, encouraged them, and uh, definitely given them something to think about. So uh, my tradition is in this podcast to ask the uh, it's sort of like a surprise thing. Uh, I like I would like uh, my uh, um, interviewee to share um, something surprising. That is, I want you to tell me a joke. We, we had such a serious conversation. I don't want to close with this serious conversation. So get, tell me a joke. Okay, tell you a joke. All right, so there are these two little guys, all right, and um, they were literally a terror to their family, family to their community, to their school, right? The parents didn't know what to do with them. I mean, these are literally 
preteens, but they were a terror. I mean, so at any rate, um, the, the mother and the father had a discussion and they got the wise idea to take this, these two little guys to the pastor and let the pastor talk to them. And so it so happens that they did exactly that. It so happens the little boys live near the church. Their parents live right down the street from the church. And they took them over there. And so there it is. They, they, they let them in to the pastor's office. The mother was sitting out there waiting for them. Uh, matter of fact, they went in uh, one at a time. And for whatever reason, it so happened, they decided they would leave one at home because they felt they might cause too much <laughs> ruckus in the office. So they said, let's just take them one at a time. And the father stays home with one of them and the other one's there. So the youngest one goes in. He might be about six years old. He goes in first and he's sitting there in this big chair waiting for the pastor to come out of the, the other room of his office. He comes in, pastor sits down and he says, where is God? <laughs> And the little boy looks around. He looks around. He doesn't know what the what the man is saying. Okay. Where is God? And so the little boy gets so scared he runs out. He he does a, a an incredible fast move sprint across that office out the door. His mother is looking at him and she's having to kind of hustle right after him and wondering where he's going. He runs home. He, the door happens to be unlocked. He goes in, runs past his father. His brother's still in the room where they share. And, and he jumps under the bed. And the other brother who's there is now shaking and saying, what happened? What happened? And so the little boy says, God is missing. And they're blaming us for it. <laughs> good. So Very good. He just closed by saying this. God is missing. <laughs> and the world is blaming us for it. Yeah. Bottom line. Very good. Very good. Uh, there you have it, everybody. So I had uh, with me a wonderful brother here. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening to us. As always, tune in, tune in for the next episode. God bless you all. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.